Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Podcast number, number four. four. <laughs> number four. Eventually, are, are we going to say the number of them like for every single one? I guess we don't have to. Well, okay, I guess we don't have to because... For the first four we have, though. Yes. So that's our thing. But at what point do we... Next time. Do we decide next time? <laughs> next, next time we, we won't <laughs> say number five? No, maybe we'll just say like the topic, you know, Okay. that we're going to talk about. Right. Yeah. Do we have a topic? Well, I was thinking, you know, no... But <laughs> no, that's all right. We usually stumble across something. Mm-hmm. Um, new year. It is the new year. So, I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about, uh, the year and, and kind of like, you know, how you're, how you'd reinvent yourself this year and all that. I don't know. With art. What do you think? Yeah, we could definitely get into that. Is there anything it's that it's pretty broad? Is there anything that you've been wanting to talk about? Anything that I've been wanting to talk about? Well, um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, storytelling. I know we talked a little bit about acting. Mm-hmm. That was the first time we sort of do- dove into that subject matter. Sure. Um, I'm uh, I'm launching my school this year. My school? My like just my my school. Oh, you're my, building your school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, schools. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. We can definitely do that. I'm excited for it. Meisner, right? Meisner. Mm-hmm. Meisner is the. Uh, it is sort of the how of the school, but the why of the school, the underpinnings of, of everything have, uh, have really started to come together. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I'm really excited about. Cool. Um, so, okay, well, yeah, so I don't know. Well, uh, for anybody who doesn't know what Meisner acting is, because there's probably some filmmakers and stuff out there who don't know too much about acting. Yeah, and I mean, if you, and if you don't know too much about acting, I would recommend you step into an acting class of some kind yeah whether just to whether to participate if you want to participate that's awesome to yeah. actually go through the experience of it and yeah. and learn some of it um but to even just to audit a class and sit in and watch an actor go through their process and watch a teacher who knows the craft as well guide them through it will lend a lot of perspective to any any filmmakers directors producers yeah, I think that's a really important point. Actually, you know, we were having a discussion the other day, uh, me and one of my producer mentors, about that very topic, is that there's certain directors, like, they hire now, which are very technical. And actually, nowadays, technical directors are way more likely to be hired than, you know, uh, acting directors and performance-based, emotional, we call them emotional-based directors. And also, uh, first ADs are often a lot more often to be hired as directors. But... Just because they're more likely to get the job doesn't necessarily mean they're the best directors. The reason why they do it is ADs because they can get it done on time, and uh, technical directors because they they understand how to get the really beautiful shots. But then a lot of the times these things can lack depth. So, yes. Yeah. Which, but if you're not which making, there is a lot of that. Yeah. I have seen. But you know what's interesting yeah. about it all? If if you understand the nature of the business, you understand the nature of people buying tickets. Which I just want to bring this in because I think this is an important point: is that they've basically realized like that more people will buy tickets to see something that looks really good 
and obviously you have to get your film done and from a budget point of view and from making money and doing that from the business side of point of view it makes more sense to get an AD or a technical cinematographer type director or a, a visual effects type director involved because they know that will sell more than right you know the emotional because most films to be honest are not made for the Oscars they're not made to win yeah and i mean let's i mean yeah this brings up an interesting subject in that what what are most people going to the movies for these days mm-hmm. like a ma- like the mass audience like we'll put aside sort of like the the film festivals which you know there are these you know theatrical releases in that sense but yeah in terms of major motion picture releases what is being done what is being seen and and they are for the most part highly highly technical types of movies they are and you know, you know what action yeah. blockbusters of oh, some kind you know totally yeah. yeah thriller and horror and yeah and you know um what's interesting too is from the actor's side of view and i think this is good if there are any actors listening is that a lot of the producers and directors and you know, production teams, they just expect the actor to show up and know how to do the job. It's not so much about directing the actor so much these days. Um, like, back in classic cinema, you know, you used to have, like, Kazan and, like, people who really, like, it was really about these really amazing directors that came from theater and could direct these amazing performances out of actors. And and nowadays, it's it's not so much about that. It's kind of expected that everybody is kind of a technician. Everybody shows up and does their job and that we get it done on time and then, you know, we get everything we need done. Which is important to be able to do. Right. To be able to have that skill. Right. But it um, does undercut the art. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That seemed like it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a very nice finality to that. Well, and you but. know, I think, um, you know, I think, uh, there's, I, I mean, I think like with all these independent films that are made that are, you know, they'll, and I hate to say it, but so many of them are not going to get distribution. They're never really going to get out there and they're never really going to even make a dollar back. And if they do, it's going to, it's going to be so minimal. Right. Right. And so that's unfortunate, but I think it's not because the filmmakers don't know what they're doing or the screenwriters aren't good or the acting isn't great. It's not because of any of that. It's a lot to do with the fact that a lot of the time people are going out and making these movies and not understanding how the business works. And it's not even their fault, really, because in my opinion, a lot of film schools aren't teaching people how the business actually works and how a filmmaker or how a screenwriter or even an actor, how do you go from being kind of nobody to being somebody where people, you know, work with and you actually make money and your movies make money. And I think like, as we go through this process and we talk about our artistic integrity, I don't think that or creative integrity or whatever. I don't think that it's really so relevant to talk about how people keep it when they're just making a film independently that they don't know if it's going to get distributed. But for people that know when they're going down the road and they're starting to work with major producers and and stuff like that, or just they want to take that leap, keeping your integrity in that world is harder, but it's respected. And I think that's what people really want. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I mean, and it's not to say that, um, because there are really terrific films being made that that do terrific character work and character pieces and and great directors who are working with actors in in amazing ways they just i think we we talked about this in a past podcast just mm-hmm. about um how there's there's different almost little parts of the industry and knowing what what you want to do within that 
within the industry. Yeah. Right. Like there's like, do you want to be doing like the big major blockbusters that have the huge releases? Then maybe being a technician is a bit more of the priority in terms of the way that you, you build your craft. Mm. Right. Not to say that you're going to completely ignore everything, but that's an important part. If you want to do the more of the character driven piece, if you want to be someone like a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Darren Aronofsky who have done bigger stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, they're kind of in this like little place. Even somebody I would say like, uh, like even though they get major releases, they're almost, uh, uncommon now. Yeah. Like someone like a, a Scorsese or a Tarantino, you know, like these, those are guys who are, who are still getting the major releases, but they're, doing things in a way that's not very typical of the major releases anymore. You know what, you bring up a, you bring up a really interesting point, and, and I know that we might be skirting a little to the to left here. That's fine, that's fine, that seems to be how we, how we do things around yeah. here. <laughs> um, but I'd like to come back to, or, to acting, but you know, when you think about, like, a lot of people compare themselves to, like, or they compare, oh yeah, you know, I want to be Spielberg, I want to be Scorsese, I want to be Tarantino, or whatever, but you got to look back at where these guys started and where things happened. Like, let's just take Tarantino, for example. His first film, Reservoir Dogs, is is brilliant, and, and I'll explain why. Is that it is about the acting, but it's but the thing is it's one location, really. It's all really in the warehouse. For the most and part, And then yeah. you have little bits that happen outside of it. If you think about it, the whole bulk of the movie, from if from a budgetary point of view right? Let's just say that you don't have a lot of money behind it. You're, you know, it makes a lot of sense to make that movie and to make a movie that for the most part of it takes place in one location. And is that compelling and that interesting? I mean, that's how filmmakers are really going to get their start, you know? And the thing is about Reservoir Dogs is it's not just about like how everybody feels, you know, it actually is exciting. You know, it's actually got that crime element it's got that exciting yeah. thing people are bleeding you know that you know there's danger it's it was it's, a, an incredibly well crafted story exactly like incredibly well crafted within his limitations of that his budget had right but right. he went to the to the Dove Simmons he did like school he yeah. did he was one of like the big people that that came out of it and has touted like the brilliance of Dove Simmons well and you know um, and uh and uh, Harvey Keitel right I believe it was yep. got behind that film and so I think what a lot of people don't realize is that if you have this script made and you have the thing really like the way to get something made is you got to just get one person. And like, I think what, what he, I, I don't know how this whole thing happened. I mean, I don't know him personally. I never talked to him, but I've read a bit and whatever. So take it as it is. But from what I understand is Harvey Keitel got involved and that was really what got the film made ultimately. Right. And so I think this is an important thing for people to realize is that you really just need one person to get involved with your thing. And a lot of people will say, oh, you can't get name actors. You can't get this person. You can't get whatever. And and there's so many roundabout ways to go about connecting with these people. And if you have something good, people are going to want to get behind it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that, um, you know, uh, well, he was pretty knowledgeable. Like it seems if you look at any of his bios or anything, it seemed like he had made a lot of films. He had you know, researched a lot about film. He had done a lot of work before he ever got there. It's not like he was an overnight success. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I I think Quentin Tarantino was an actor for a while. Right. Um, But he's, he had always been obviously a huge uh, 
lover of film and of of great films. Right. You know, all of his influences that he's had. He's he's uh, I guess a bit of a, a purist in some ways, yeah. if you whatever he, that <laughs> is. But you know, you might label someone like Tarantino as as a film purist. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know he's he definitely had a good understanding of what he was doing. Like, I don't know, like, if... Because he didn't go to any sort of necessarily prestigious film school, to my knowledge. I'm pretty sure it was... You know, he, he, he did train. He did prepare himself to do it. But ultimately, he... He had vision for what he wanted to do. Yeah. And that... And that's what's the most important thing to begin with. That's I where you so. have to begin. And, uh, and we've talked about that many well, times. Yeah. And, uh, actually as a quote or something like that, like film school or something is like, and I'm butchering this totally, but it's something about basically like film school is go out and make a film. Basically it was his motto. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I agree with that. I think until you go out there and, you know, until you go there and try and make a film and I'm not talking in film school, like, I don't think in film school is a really great way to learn how to make a film. I think you need to go there in the world. You need to go and you need to knock on doors and find people who want to, who have gear, who have things, who can come together and help to make your film. If you're, like the problem with film school, as great as it is in so many ways um, about teaching people the technical and business side of film, is that you get a lot of people together and you're basically they're all kind of obligated to work on everybody else's film and that's how they pass through and they're supposed to do it. And so it's good in the sense that maybe these guys are getting, these men and women are getting experience doing that. But in the real world, when you're outside of film school, you got to go and you got to knock on doors of people you don't know and you have to talk to them and pitch them your idea and get them involved. And and you it's know, your idea. That's yeah. that's the big thing. The vision, like at, right? at the you know the dawn of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Like really, just and I'm gonna really oversimplify this, but keep going. It it came out of some person with a film camera and an idea, with a vision in their minds, and then they went out and they made it. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it's still all about. At the end of it. Like, the schools came out of a product of, like, okay, well, here's some things that we've learned from, you know, all of these years of people making movies, and we found this can be helpful, this can work, and this, that's really all it is. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it, film starts with, starts with a vision, an idea, and a story of some kind. You know, a lot of it... Ooh, sorry, I'm jumping the gun here. You're jumping the gun, but it's all right. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't gonna, resist. I'm walking around the mic, so I might sound a little bit distant there for a minute. But um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, a lot of initial filmmaking, too, was was tests. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at, like, a lot of these big filmmakers, a lot of the time they're still testing. They're still trying stuff out. I mean, if you look at Birdman, for example, I mean, that was an experiment, you know? Yeah. turned out to be a brilliant one. But, you know, and, and everybody... You know, people have their, you know, their arguments about it or whatever. But if you look at it, it was, it was, it was a unique way to get a film done. And I think that, you know, part of making films and writing a story or acting or any of this stuff is, you know, there's that sense of play, like that sense of, you know, let's, let's experiment, let's try something out. And, I, and, uh, I think, um, 
if you try to make anything a copy of what it already was, it's not going to work. And, and I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking this is kind of like the whole Meisner idea, right? Is that everything needs to be tested in the moment. You know, you, you go with whatever's true with you and you don't know what's going to happen so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think like writing and uh, filmmaking in my experience a lot of the time, um, that's a lot of what it is, you know? Uh, it is. It's testing. Mm-hmm. It's testing, trial and error. I mean, art, you have to... Uh, I guess we'll... It, th- um, this might be a nice little segue to go back into into acting. Yeah. Uh, but one of the big messages that I always try to communicate is that trying to get it right works against you hmm. as an artist yeah, and as an actor. So that's one of the big things that I key in on for people. But, um, yeah, to get, to get back into a little bit of the school and what I, this is, I, I'm constantly getting more and more clear about, you know, a, a deeper, deeper meaning and, and vision and message and philosophy for the school and what's going to happen. Mm. And, uh, one of the big things I just realized this last night is one of the messages and one of the foundations for the school is the industry is not above the art. Mm. Uh, and, and so I, I, this is going to turn into a bit of a rant. I'm realizing, sure, go on it. but yeah. here we go. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Brace yourself. Uh, I realized this. So being in Vancouver, mm-hmm. I realized and, and Los Angeles is, very similar. And there's, there's always been something about the acting community in Vancouver that, that has bothered me. Okay. Uh, not to say that it's all like some, some grim affair. There's lots of wonderful teachers and schools and people doing wonderful things. Yeah. But I find that too much of the, of, of the, of the education in the schools, acting schools here are all still geared towards the industry that's here. Mm-hmm. Vancouver did not become a place full of actors because, you know, we had uh, a th- sort of a thriving theater or, you know, this, this thing that, that came out of the, the essence of what acting and performance is supposed to be, which mm-hmm. is like a communication and community and, and an expression of compassion, you know, whatever you want to say that acting is. Sure. Acting and the training here is almost as a product of the industry coming here. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? And Los Angeles part. is very similar. It's like, okay, most people learn how to act because there's an industry here. Right. And so everything is geared towards that. Mm. Everything is ultimately to serve the industry. Even, you know, some of some great teachers who've always like been very like, they, they did have a strong message of like, be a great actor and mm-hmm. care about the art of it. It's like, but then there was almost always this thing about it that still came to, because then you're going to book. Right. Because then you're going to get the job. Because hmm. then you're going to, and there's nothing wrong with booking and getting jobs. That's fantastic. Uh, but I realized that that is completely not what the school is going to be about. Hmm. There's going to be, like, I, it's going to be a sanctuary. Hmm. Is a, in, in, a, in a way, where basically it's like, there's not going to be any sort of, communication, teaching. I'm not going to be doing audition classes. I'm not going to be doing, uh, casting, (laughs) casting director workshops or anything. And again, this is nothing to do with, with 
you know, any of the people who are in casting or what have you. It's because the focus needs to be completely on the art form, the craft, and what's going on with the student and the teacher and exploring that. Mm. And really becoming artists in that way. That's great. So it's like, no, 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 we're not even thinking about all of that. This is about, this is about creating 100%. And I think it's, I think it's a lot about, you know, filling, filling a need that is, is missing, you know, at the end of the day. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, and and it's not to say like, I mean, there's, there's going to be like, even in filmmaking, right? There's, uh, I, I look at a lot of film schools and they teach people how to technically make film, you know, how to wrap, like, I think it's kind of, it's funny because people pay so much money to learn how to wrap a cord properly. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's kind of funny, but you know, um, it's more than that. But, but where, where I was looking at and where I was seeing the need from a, from a filmmaker and writer point of view was like, you know, I, I dropped out of film school and, uh, and I just started working, you know, and then I, and then, and a lot of the guys that went to film school and a lot of the guys that I worked with who have gone to film school, you know, they're still kind of, they're still at this point working as some technical job. And I, you know, I think they like it. They make money doing that and that's great. But I think that, you know, when I remember talking to them when we were younger, I mean, they wanted to be the next big thing. They wanted to be making stuff. They wanted to be creating stuff. And I talk to them now, and although they're, I mean, I know, I know we all kind of justify where we're at, you know? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, we all, and I do this myself, I, I look back in the beginning, why did I get in this? Why did I do this? And it was so that, you know, I could be a part of creating the stuff I really wanted to create, and and express myself and, and do this thing that I really love to do. And I think, you know, we all get caught in the whole mode of like paying the bills and all that stuff. And I think, you know, I looked at it and I, and I said, well, you know, people need to learn how to actually produce. Cause there was this stigma around producing and there still is. And I really don't like it where people go, Oh, you're a producer, you're a suit. And it's like, no, dude, I'm a regular, I'm a regular guy, just like you. The difference is I look at this and I go, let's get this thing made. Let's get money behind it. Let's get the big people behind it. And that, you know, yeah. and, and let's get paid for creating, not, not for doing yeah. some job for someone else. You know what I mean? And, and creating something that we all actually love and care about. Right. And you know, at the end of the day, even if you don't get paid to create this stuff, I'd still do it. And I think what happens is sometimes people get caught up in the whole money, making money, getting jobs, getting roles, getting whatever, that they stop creating because their creation is based on the roles and the stuff they book or the, or the gig you get as a writer or a filmmaker or whatever. Yeah. And I think it's, I think what you're doing is good in the sense that, you know, you're, you bring people back to the point of like, why are you doing this? And I think that actually, you know, <clears throat> I would say a lot of the reason why if I've gotten any work, especially as a screenwriter, is because I write because I want to write. I don't, I don't even write to get paid. I mean, I'll write, I write every day, no matter what. It's just for me. I write, I create, I tell another story, you know, and I, I do believe that a lot of this stuff, you know, will probably garner me money. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I would still write whether that was an option or not. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who are actors, um, filmmakers, whatever, and they would just make films or they would just act because they want to do it, whether they got paid or not. But because we all buy into this industry, we start to forget that and we don't behave that way anymore. 
Yeah. So I think your idea is good because it can bring people back to the main purpose, which is actually ironically what will probably get them more work. Yeah. All that. Yeah. But I'm never going to talk about that yeah, you don't sort need to. of thing. And I mean, and again, it's not because I think that there's anything wrong with a lot of these things that, that we're just not going to be doing there, but it's just, it won't be, it won't be through, through us. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to do a casting director workshop, there's a half a dozen other places in the city that are doing that, mm-hmm. you know, but if you want to just come and engage in the craft and why you're doing what you're doing and really want to explore and push yourself, stretch yourself, find out what has meaning to you, then that's what our school is going to be about. Cool. So that's awesome. I'm excited for it. And, uh, yeah, you should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's amazing. I, I, you know, I think that's what it's all about. Well, here, let's introduce this little beer. That all right. I got it today. Uh, the, today is, um, another 33 acre special. We're going to have to do some, I know, something gonna, else other gonna, than 33 acres. I know. First month, 33 acres. Next month we'll do another brewery. Yeah. Sounds so, good. So, the, so this one is sunshine. It's a classic we've ah, had yes. it since summer. Anyway, it's a, uh, nice. was it a French blanche or something like that? I think so, yeah. Nice and light and refreshing. Yep. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> On this sunny winter day in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, well, uh, so I, I don't know. I think, um, so I think it's really like, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is, you know, there's, there's, I think everybody ultimately, like we get into this industry and we look at, you know, you're, you become an adult, you're growing up, you, you want to make money, you want to be sustained in this industry, you don't want to have to work a Joe job to do the stuff that you love to do. Um, but I think when, you know, and I, I think a lot of time if you make it about the money that you're making, you know, the problem is, is that you actually undercut the, the whole thing, you know, um, so like, I mean, for example, uh, I was sharing with you earlier before this, before we started talking was that, you know, already in this, it, it's 2016, we just started a new year. I've gotten four offers, four paid gigs for writing feature films already beginning of the year. Congratulations. And thank you very much. And so right now we're in talks about what's the, you know, what, what will I take them on? Will I take all of them? Which ones will I take? All this stuff. And so the whole reason, and, and, you know, you can go like, I think that's pretty well. If I was to meet myself, you know, 10 years ago and say, holy crap, that's what's happening. Like for you net right now, I'd be like, that's amazing. But those, those offers came on the table because one, because I wrote a screen. I mean, we were writing screenplays already. I wrote a few screenplays that I cared about. And those things are a lot of what opened up the door for me. And the other thing was I said yes to some jobs last year specifically, and I guess the year before, but I said yes to some jobs that didn't pay me too well and were kind of just, um, in a way, helping some people out and things like that. But I was using this skill that I have, and that was a lot of what opened up the doors for me because I became someone they could refer to. Now, if it was all about the money for me and it was all about all that other stuff, these offers wouldn't have come. And so I think, yes, you need to be paid for your work, but I think you always need to check back in. Like, why am I, you know, why am I doing this thing? And, and, you know, I did turn down, we were talking about this before as well, but I I turned down that one job, which, you know, I said to them that it's not something I wanted to write. And I, as much as I think it's good to say yes to things, sometimes you need to also be like, no, this is not a project that I want to be involved in and knowing when to say no, and people can respect that. 
And I think what's, what's great is that, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is about, you know, it's humble beginnings. A lot of these things, you know, are about doing the thing because you love it. And then the opportunities for the money and everything else come, they come along. But if you're doing it because one day the money will come along, I think you're misguiding yourself too. Cause I didn't, I honestly didn't expect this year to start this way. I knew that wasn't even something I anticipated and I'm, I'm, it's lovely that it happened, but I still never wrote what I was writing because I was expecting that to happen. You know what I mean? And you never really know what's going to happen with, with this industry. I mean, you never really know what's going to come about, but I think that's, uh, you know, if there's anything that it, it's good for people to realize is like, well, maybe we can talk about well, why are we all doing this? You yeah. Know? I mean, it's in, it is one of those great sort of dilemmas, I think. And it's not necessarily just within our industry. You know, everybody deals with this, whatever their passion is, and also the industry. Mm-hmm. There's always this this push and pull between them. And maybe it doesn't have to be a push and pull, but there's almost, yeah, there's almost a, a weird paradox about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, I, I want to do this for the love, but I also, you know, there are realities that I have to acknowledge in that, you know, like I, I have bills to pay, you know, I have you know, I need money for things. Right. So it's like, and it's finding that, that marriage. And I mean, there's how many books, how many seminars and courses and stuff are going on every single day around the world to help people with that very thing. Right. So, I mean, we're, I guess, trying to throw our own voices (laughs) into, (laughs) into the mix here and, and, and get a grasp of it because this is something very relevant to you right now Mm -hmm. because yeah, you've got, all of these offers. And now you're in a position where you're going to have to look at all of this stuff, you know, all of these projects and going through it and saying, is this something that I really want to do? You know, like you could, you could just say yes to all of them. Yeah. Right. You could just say yes to all of them. And then, but you know, maybe there's one of them, I don't know, but maybe there's one of them that just like you, you have no, you have no attachment to, you have no feelings about one way or the other. And maybe you decide to do it and maybe you decide not to. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's ultimately comes down to you. Well, you know, I think the thing is, is like, um, you look at it, you go, would you, I mean, yeah. You know, would you write, would you write a script? Would you do something knowing all along that you would never get paid for it and you would never get recognized for it? Your name would never be attached and you would never get the paycheck at the end of the day. Would you still do it? And I think that's a good gauge as whether you should write it or not. Because if I write it for what they're paying me, even though I can ask for what I want to ask for, you know, um, would I write it whether they pay me or not? And would I write it whether my name will be on it at the end of the day? Because I can tell you one thing, in the last couple of years, I've written a lot of stuff that I'll never get credit for. You know, and I've helped a lot of people write a lot of stuff that I probably will never get credit for. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm at peace with that. And there's a dog barking up right outside this window. A couple of dogs. (laughs) They're going nuts. All right. (laughs) (laughs) One day we'll be uh, in a studio that's blocked off maybe. Um, But anyway, uh, for now, uh, humble beginnings. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, my point is, is that there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that, uh, you know... I'll never get recognized for. And, and the thing is, is that when, 
if, if you do things out of the recognition or you do things out of the money or you do things out of those reasons, I think they get you away from the whole point of why you're, why you're doing it. Like, and I think being a, being a storyteller, I, you know, for me, I want to be a great storyteller. And I find that every time that I make a decision from a place of, I there's something about this story I think I can bring to the table that I can help tell it in a way. And it makes me a better storyteller. And I know that one day all of that work is going to be rewarded and paid off. And even if it isn't in the sense, like a very materialistic way, like it's not like in a financial yeah. way or a recognition way, I'll know it, it like, cause every time I, I work on a story, I get, become a better storyteller. Yeah. And, um, there's the reward just for yourself. Yeah. And in, I, in having done it, I could just see like, I could just see like, uh, you know, people you know, like when it's so silly, you know what I mean? But it's, it's true. Like when you really love something, a lot of this stuff, it doesn't matter. But what's, what's, what's funny is that I think, I think it's in a, in a, in a way it all kind of comes back. It all kind of gets paid off, you know? And, um, and that internal reward is something that, that money and recognition isn't able to buy. And I think that it gives you a certain, it gives me, at least I can say for me, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe this is just me, but I, I find that it's very fulfilling, you know? And like, you know what I love more than anything, Evan, is when someone reads a script that I do and they tell me about this part in the script that really affected them. If there's one part in a script that someone refers to and they go, this moment, you know, uh, in the Burning Blues, uh, there was a literary agent or whatever who read my script and she wrote me back and she said, this, there's this monologue by the character Lance. She said, this monologue is inspired. And, and she said, it just really stood out to me. And it was like, it really affected me. And, and that's like, the whole point. Isn't that's, it? You just made it. The whole script is worth it from that one point. And you know what was so interesting is I remember writing that. And I remember being so vulnerable as I was writing it. And I, this character in a way, like, I like to say that I'm so different than him. But in a sense, what he was saying was what deep down dark inside my guts, yeah. that's how I feel about people. And that's a scary thing to admit, but that affected somebody, it hit somebody yeah. in their gut. And I go, well, if I could do that for a whole script, if, if I could ever get to that point, then I've achieved my goal as, as a great storyteller. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I got one moment. So, you know, now it's like, okay, 49 other scenes. But the thing <laughs> is, is that like... <laughs> that moment doesn't happen without the rest of it. Well, totally. Yes. Right. So even though of that course. was the one moment that's referred to it, that one moment isn't even referred to if it wasn't for the rest of the story that you built behind it. Sure. So it is a credit to everything that you did. Well, thank you. I appreciate right? that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I well, think, it's the truth though. It's right? the truth. And, uh, you just, you talking about this is also, it's, uh, it's, it's brought up some, some, another idea that I've, I've had going on in my sure. head and it was, and it started again with, with acting and why we, we do what we're doing. What was the purpose of acting and storytelling? Because they translate, they're so, they're so weaved together that you, they're almost interchangeable. Um, I said, well, well, why did people engage in this thing of, you know, pretending to be somebody else. Mm. What, why do, do human beings do this sort of thing? Kids do it. Like yeah. kids almost naturally are actors, mm -hmm. you know, they just play make believe and then we kind of grow out of it. And then some of us don't grow out of it. And we become actors and storytellers Yeah, uh, because it's an important thing to do. And 
for me, I'm realizing a huge part of this, and it might be the biggest part, I could be wrong, I might be correcting myself in a later date, so. Okay. <laughs> but for now, I was saying, you know, it, I think that this was all about compassion. Mm. Storytelling and acting, especially because I realized this would, acting teachers always tell you, if you're if you're an actor or if you're not, but here's something <laughs> to know, acting teachers will always tell you, never judge your character. Mm. Don't judge your character because as soon as you judge your character, how can you possibly play them? Right. And, and the truth in it, because there's a, and to me, it's like, that's kind of a way of talking about it. It's like, there's a truth, but there's a, for me, there's a deeper truth behind that in that, no, it's about, it's not enough to just not judge your character. So like, especially if you're playing a bad guy, you actually have to have compassion for them. Hmm. And it's about going beyond yourself right to do that right so for me it's that's a huge part of what storytelling is in and when you hit somebody when somebody something lands with someone it's because you've hit some compassionate part of themselves and even though this one monologue like this this literary agent was was just like wow that was inspired and you're even saying it's like oh this came from a really dark place in myself yeah but for whatever reason, it still it still hit on something in in this literary agent that that was they could relate to, that they could empathize with and have compassion for, even as maybe horrible as it is. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you talked about the judgment and the empathy thing because when I did write that monologue, I wasn't judging him at all, and I think. Uh, you know, and I think in hindsight, that was probably the least judgmental I was of that character. He's, he's you know, he's a, a bad guy in this script, yeah. right? Okay. So anyway, uh, obviously, I mean, maybe it's not obvious, but for me, you know, sometimes writing the bad guys are a little harder because then I have to admit that the thoughts that or the ideas that I have that sometimes are the things that I, you know, I mean, I think we all, we all, there's a saying, the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. And I think sometimes we don't look to look in the shadow. At least I know I don't always, but I find that with art, you, you, if you need to look at both equally, you don't have to act on both equally, but look at both equally with love and compassion for yourself. And I think, yeah, that was a moment where I wasn't judgmental. I really just let the words fall out of me as I wrote them as I was in his position, believing what he was saying. And I really I really, when I wrote it, I remember the day. I remember believing what he was writing. And from his perspective, it made sense why he would say what he said. And I look back at the, because I'm, I'm right now, I'm between another draft, right? So I'm moving into my next draft. And when we did that table read, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, I, there's one particular character, which I was very judgmental about. And and it was interesting because the table read, people gave a lot of comments about that character and how to improve them. And you know what? It's You're so right because I didn't have a lot of empathy for that character. And so it's not surprising to me that that was the character that got all the notes, you know? But I mean, it's a great thing that you're aware of it and, and that, you know, I know you that in, and who you are, you're going to go back and you're going to, and you're going to address that and yeah. you're going to, you're going to expand upon it and, and create that within the story of more empathetic character. Um, but it's like, you, you can see it so often, like it gets through like the kind of stuff where you can tell nobody, how many times have you gone to see a movie recently? Like, and since 
the dawn of movies where you see a bad guy speech mm. and it's just so like, like the fact that this person said it was inspired yeah. is incredible yeah. because most bad guy speeches are so uninspired. <laughs> You've heard them a million times before and you couldn't even care less as an audience member, you know, like some big powerful bad person who's just like the world needs to be controlled and ordered and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, sorry, I'm going to, I'm about to, I, Avengers just popped into my head (laughs) (laughs) because truly like as much as the Avengers was a fun, fun movie. I mean, that, that was the whole, does anybody actually remember that that's why Loki came? Right. Is because he believed that like, the world needed like to be subservient right. and like, yeah. how could you, like you didn't, you couldn't give a shit about what his goal was right. and what he was, what he was saying. Mm. There was no reason for anybody to care about it. It was just like straight up bad guy. You know, what's so interesting. You're bringing this up. Cause I just recently watched the movie, the hustler. Okay. And, uh, I'd seen it before when I was younger, but I honestly didn't get it. I, I, but this time I got it. Like, well, I got it as much as I can at this point in my life. I don't think I've seen that one. Really? Brilliant. Who's in it? Paul Newman. Oh. Unbelievable. Uh, Paul Newman, and there's a bunch of other really amazing actors, um, but, uh, they escape me at the moment. But anyway, this, you know, I think if you look at a lot of great films back, um, back in the day, they actually blurred the lines a lot more between good guy, bad guy. Um, it was... You know, there was, uh, like, if you look at, they, they kind of, the hero and the heroes in a lot of these great movies, they're very flawed. You know, they're very, yeah. they're very flawed. And well, you know, they, again, a lot of these, these actors and these directors at the time, especially like that sort of 60s, 70s era of filmmaking, it was a whole new generation, mm. you know, of, of, of actors and directors. And they were coming from a place of, of truly like these great old sort of theater directors and theater actors and, and those types of, uh, plays and, and the things that were being written as well, because theater has been, especially at the time was at a much more advanced state, I would say of sophistication, right. You know, in terms of the types of stories being told, they were dealing with, uh, more, I guess, difficult or, or complex subject matter. And then, that's, I feel like that sort of time, these film started to, to take a look at those things. And it was also, it was a, it was a very commercial and viable way of making films at the time too. Yeah. It was very, it was very much a golden era, I would say, of filmmaking. People went to movies for different reasons back then too. And there was also less of them. So it's like, you know, movies would, would be in theater for like a, a year. Yeah. You know, because there wasn't a whole ton of releases, so a movie would have return viewers throughout an entire year, which is crazy to think nowadays. Like, stuff is, you know, out of theater and on Netflix after, like, a month. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) wild. Um, You know, it's... uh, So, well, my point was... My point, uh, to go back, and I think all that is is something we should come back to, but um, was that... You know, there's a blurred line between good guy, bad guy. Because if you look at, especially if you look at that movie, it's so brilliant because there's 
a lot of gray area in the whole thing. And then I think we went through kind of like the 80s and the 90s and stuff, and we kind of got the big action movie stuff, and it became very more good guy, bad guy, a little more clear cut, you know what I mean? Like, and the bad guys were really bad guys, and the good guys were really good guys, and it was very um, objectified characters, and it it kind of worked, you know. It worked in that in that kind of yeah. There is a place for it. Mm-hmm. I I feel there is a place for it, and there probably still is, and you know what I mean. But I think uh, you know what's interesting. I'm finding is that I think a lot of if you look at like a lot of movies that are like winning Oscars and kind of a big deal these days, they're really blurring the lines again between a lot of the good guys. Like a movie I love that uh, came out recently was Ex Machina. You know, yeah. And yeah. If you look at that movie. The good guy, bad guy, whole like you know, it's it's very interesting. Like the the way they're the way they kind of blur the lines more, and everybody has very because um, that's the thing is like everybody in their own life, for whatever they do, feel very justified in what they do, you know. And and it takes a very, and I'm not saying that I am, but it takes a very evolved person to start to transcend that their thing that they want might be a bad thing to do. You know what I mean? And I think that we have all these justifications that we put in place and reasons why we do something that isn't, is not appropriate. Yet we don't look at ourselves as a bad guy when we do them. Like, for example, there's this question that was in this book I read, uh, just last year. And it said, um, if you're starving or whatever, do you believe it's okay to steal from someone who's wealthy? right? And, and the thing is, you ask the question, you go, okay. Um, then the next question is, you're supposed to answer them in sequence. The next question is, how many people in the world believe that you're wealthy? And if you think about it, if you're a first world country, most people in the world believe you're wealthy. So what you're saying is, if you say yes to the first one, you're saying that most of the people should probably steal from you if they're starving. And so it's kind of messed up because we look at ourselves in our position in first world or whatever, and if there's people in another part of the world who are listening to this, that's amazing. I'm just speaking because I, you know, I was in this position, born in first world. But you look at that, you go, who am I to justify anybody being wealthier than I am? Because I've been so blessed and so, you know, even when we were, we had no money, we were eating like peanut butter sandwiches, living in a trailer park, you know, me and my dad, like, <laughs> even then, we're like, you know, we it's not like we were running away from bombs or you know, there were still ways to get food. There were still ways to do things. So like, you know, and, and that was really hard at the time, but you look at it in, in, you know, and so we have all sorts of ways we can justify. And I think as a storyteller, you, you do, it's all about what you said. It's all about empathy and not judging because that's really how you get down to it. And, and I know that I'm not totally there yet because in my writing is an expression of my judgment you know, and I, I actually believe that the more empathetic I get, the more that I start to understand all the characters I write and have love and compassion for them, actually a better storyteller I will be for sure. And the thing is, is that in, in a lot of ways, writing becomes almost a temple, your temple in a way of, of learning to go beyond yourself Mm. in stretching your empathetic abilities. I mean, you'll, you'll learn that out in the world as well, but you can learn it through, through your art form as well. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and I think, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, I think that's, uh, it's interesting, you know, this, the, that's, this, what we've stumbled upon here is the whole empathy of art, you know, not judging it. 
I and think it's not always easy. No, it isn't. You know, it's it's it can be very difficult at times. But at the end of the day, it's what what do you want to put out there? Well, let's say let's say someone's going to pay you a massive amount of money, right, to write a script, and you had to write a script, and uh, and it was about a child molester, right? Now most people cringe when they even think of the idea. Now now we say now you got to try on what it would be like to be this person and justify everything they do from their perspective and for them make, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's hard. And I that's think that where there was a movie that was, there was yeah, with, with the Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Bacon. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it yeah. and I hear it's, I, I've heard it's, it's pretty good, pretty dark, pretty, pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. But you I know would what, imagine. but you know what? I think, um, uh, <clears throat> at the end of the day, um, if you, you know, to the degree that you're a, your ability to write story is how far can you push yourself to the thing that you like the least. And I mean, you know, I would never behave that way. I would never do that, you know, from my perspective and, and where I'm at in my life, but to try on how someone could, it's like so much easier to just go, that person is bad. They're, they're terrible. They should, they should be put to death and whatever. It's so easy to do that, but to go in and try on their perspective. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying what they do is okay, but, but you, your humanity as a person and your ability to tell story totally expands. Yeah. There's, um, there's a difference between, between, you know, like some people are, are dangerous to themselves and to others. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that you should just brush aside. You know, there are, there are people who are disturbed, but yeah, that doesn't mean that there's a lack of compassion that you can have for these people. Obviously people who have these types of, you know, whatever it is. See, that's the thing. It's like, I, this is something that I haven't even explored because it's, it is a very uncomfortable territory to go into, but mm-hmm. it's, um, obviously people who are, I would, I think are in a lot of pain in a lot of ways for sure. You know, it's just, it's, nobody usually wants to dive into the trenches and find out what that's, what that's actually all, all about. Well, I mean, take it, you know, you don't even have to take it that far. You can take it even closer. Like if you look at the world and the place that we're in currently in this day, right, where there's a lot of people right now that say, you know, being gay is fine. Gay is getting married is fine, whatever. And there's a lot of people that still have an issue with it, right? So even for someone who has an issue with it, for them to try it on and imagine, just imagine that, Okay, you're a man and you're attracted to women, right? And someone was to tell you that you're not allowed, that it's wrong for you to be attracted to women, right? And just try that on and walk around for a little bit and try to see what that's like. And you would walk around throughout the day and you see all these attractive women and all that stuff and you're supposed to go, no, it's wrong for me to like them. It's wrong for me to look at them that way. And, and for a man who likes other men, that's how he looks. That's how he might look at other men or a woman who looks at other women. She might look yeah. at it that way. And so the thing is, is like when we start to understand their perspective, we, we start to have a little more compassion, a little more understanding. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, you know, it, I think it's important just to try to understand people. And that way we don't have so much anger and so yeah. much like hate towards it all. And I think as if you want to be an artist, you, you really have to work through this stuff because yeah. otherwise your art is, is quite limited. It's yeah. I mean, it's very easy to stand on the outside, mm-hmm. you know, and, and 
just point a finger. Yes. You know, at something. But um, to really try something on, to really, to really, because like even, I always like to say that it's in the moments when showing compassion or showing love for another person is most difficult is when it's the most profound. Mm. You know, like, like what's the point in love and compassion when it's always easy? Yes. You know, like what's the point? Isn't it a, a greater act to do it in the face of something that's, that's dark, you know, something that's evil? Like, and isn't that sort of a message that so many people shared? Like, even if you want to look like the religious, you know, books even touch on this type of thing. Like I'm not, you know, propagating any sort of sure. religion, but you know, if you want to look at the story of like, you know, Jesus of Nazareth or look at someone even more closer to today or whatever, like Gandhi, you know, they, those were figures who talked about compassion mm. in the face of horrible, horrible conditions and being harmed, sometimes self-inflicted in Gandhi's case, but yeah, still being able to extend ideal. yourself because yeah. there's a higher ideal there. You know, you don't, you know, and you know, it's interesting too, is like, well, we're on this topic. I mean, you don't have to take it that, you don't even have to take it that far. You can take nope. it. I'm thinking like, okay, let's just take like, who's ever on this call and you, including yourself and myself, we can all look at this. Just uh, someone you're a little annoyed with right now. Okay. You're just a little annoyed with them, whether they did something, they said something, whatever. You didn't like it. Now let's just imagine right now, you don't know it, but they're dead. They just got killed in a car accident and their life is over. You'll never see them again. How do you feel about them now? Whatever your little petty bullshit was, it's over. It doesn't really matter. And if you're still hanging on to it, really you want to look at that because I mean, that's the thing is like, they say death is the great equifier, equalizer, equalizer. Yes. Right. Because at the end of the day, when you think about the, when, when we, when we get out of our entitlement idea, like we're even entitled to believe that people we love right now will be alive when we go back to them. We, we are so entitled that we believe they just will be. And so we, they always have been. So we believe they will be, but you know, like I'll tell you something when I was, you know, like 21, one of my best friends got killed in a car accident, T-boned. And I got a, I got a call a day or so later. And I was just like, I couldn't, I could not understand the fact that I just expected I would see him. You know what I mean? And, and you think these are, these are the things, right? Like when we look at, when we look at people in the world, we don't really, we don't even look at the people we love and appreciate in full, let alone the people that we don't like, you know, so you can take, you can just take this in levels. And I think like being a storyteller, being an artist is, is a lot about, um, really just connecting back <laughs> so my cat's trying to get into this combo. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is taking it back and looking at, okay, well what's going on for them? And you know, does this really, does this really matter? You know what I mean? Or am I just making it about me and the whole world's about me? And, and when we make the world about like, when I say, when I make the world about me, when I do that, I actually put blinders onto myself of all the other characters and players and people in the world who have different thoughts and they have their own world. And, um, it's just, you know, art just does not exist in a box of one person. It, it just really doesn't. No. no. I mean, it, it really is. It was designed for the community. Mm-hmm. 
any piece of art is designed for, or it was, we, we make art for, for others. Truly. Like what's the point if it's just for ourselves? Yeah. You know, Otherwise, like the, we're just playing imagination, which is fine. Yeah. But you know what, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful business and, 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 and it I, is. I, I want to bring this back because if you think about it, you had to fill the theater with an audience. You had to fill, you have, there has to be people who will pay the ticket to watch the thing. And, and that's how we set it up. And it's a beautiful design yeah. because you know what, the audience at the end of the day, if, if, if you try to do it in a box, they will reject your work. Yeah. And what, you know, when you look at the, like pick any great film you have, they must have stepped outside of the box, you know, to some degree of what it was like yeah. to just be them to just be that, you know what I mean? And there's always an opportunity you know, for all of the, the filmmakers out there who maybe are interested in being, you know, some of like the big blockbuster directors out there. And so we'll maybe be focusing more on being a technician of film. You know, there's, there's still always room for art mm-hmm. within that. You can still always find places to put compassion, to put humanity into it. There are, there's fantastic examples. I thought Mad Max was a terrific movie last year. Mm. I mean, that was a great commercial success, did great at the box office, but it was, it was a, a a lot of people think it's a masterpiece Mm. of sorts, like in terms of its genre and what it does, like stunning imagery, a lot of very subtle messages too about humanity and, and what we're doing. It's like, there's a lot of commentary on, on the world now within it. Like it's, that's, that's art. Like there is, it was a very inspired film and it merged everything. Fantastic. It was, it was a movie about crazy cars smashing into each other and like people just like, it was an, it was completely bonkers action, but it also had some really beautiful, beautiful things in it too. You know, what's interesting is like, actually I, I, and I, I feel like I heard this somewhere, so I'm not going to take credit for it as my own, although I probably nothing is my own ultimately, yep. but if people, a whole nother subject, <laughs> but it's kind of on the topic of what you're talking about is I was thinking about Mad Max and some people really don't like it. And I thought, you know, well, it breaks a lot of their rules about how a story should be told, you know? And I think that's the thing is like, if you have something that people don't equally love and some people equally hate, then you might not really have art. If it's very like middle of the road, it's, it's probably not that special, but you know, I think that there's, Usually when you push the boundaries and you do something that's a little irregular, a little unique, a little bit daring, yes, people will get sometimes really upset about it. And I know that I have, I know there's stuff that I initially didn't like because it broke my rules as a, what a story should be and whatever. And, and, you know, I've, I've grown a lot since, since I can remember that moment and I've learned to accept and like certain films. Like here's an example. Uh, you know, that play closer, they turned into yep. a movie a while back, right? Well, I saw that movie and I walked out and I was pissed off. I felt sick <laughs> in my stomach. Okay. Now I didn't like it because it hit on so many things that I don't, that were just so vulnerable for me at the time in my life. Now I think it's a brilliant film. I had a transition because I remember several months later, maybe it was a, it was a few years later. I don't remember, but I remember being like, wow, that 
movie really emotionally got to me. It really twisted my guts. I'm like, it's got to be good. If it did that, it's got to be good. I gave it another watch and I realized this is a brilliant film. And at first I didn't like it, but it was not because it was not good or whatever. It was because it hit on something really vulnerable and truthful for me, which is that, you know, in relationships and things like that at the time, I was very much like, yeah, I don't like the whole idea of infidelity and, and, you know, people cheating and lying to each other and all that other stuff. But what is that, that like, like the thing is that it actually got me to see a part of the world or got me to see a part of life. It got me to see things that I never saw before. If I go my whole life trying to block out stuff like that, I never get to experience that part of myself. Right. Which is kind of like, when I look at that, I go, that's just like, that's just like trying to do things to keep your ignorance in place. You know what I mean? Because when you go to that uncomfortable kind of like gut twisting place, you know what I mean? And then you can take anything. I mean, it doesn't just have to be emotionally gut twisting. It could be like, um, someone who's really close to me didn't like, uh, for example, he didn't like, uh, what was the movie you're just referring to? Um, Mad Max. Mad Max. They didn't like it because it broke their rules of storytelling. They're like, oh, guy playing a guitar on a thing. It's like, you're not, you're not seeing that that's not what this is about. But for, for this person, they were like, no, can't happen. It has to be in the world of reality. So now basically they're, what they're telling me when they say that is like, basically if the phone breaks reality that way, they go, no, it's no good for me. I just don't even want to be open to it. And I think if you really want to be a great storyteller, in a sense, you want to try to expand your and it's not easy all the time, but you want to try to expand your realm into like going, like, why do they even make that rule in the first place? Like, why, why does it have to follow this traditional rule? Cause I'm comfortable. Yeah. Cause it's safe. Cause it's always been that way. Like, and I think once you expand into that area, you can look back at everything you've ever looked at before and you can look at it with new eyes, which yeah. is kind of neat. Right. Well, it's like, what if, uh, like what if Christopher Nolan ever did memento, you know, like he broke some rules. It's always great when you see it a director, even if we talked about Birdman, he broke some rules there in yeah. some ways, you mm-hmm. know, like it was, but it's important to do. It's important to know the rules. I know we've talked about this a lot and just like in our own discussions and stuff, just about like, it's important to know the rules of storytelling that we've sort of, and, and they're not even necessarily, um, rules as they are in a lot of ways, guidelines, mm. you know, it's like a lot of these things, rules of storytelling, you know, it's like, these are, some common threads that we've kind of all collectively looked at over a long period of time and said, we found that this is a pretty good way of approaching things like, like as an idea. Yeah. Right. But ultimately you have to look at what it is that you're doing and, and realize where, you know, you can bend and break these things if it ultimately serves the bigger picture of it. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, it, you know, bending and breaking rules and stuff. It all comes, but you have to know them. That's the thing. You need to know them because like to bend or break a rule is not like just to be like, I'm just going to bend or break this rule. Cause I don't like that it's there, but it's like to go like, I'm seeing what this rule is upholding and why it's there in the first place. And I'm realizing that based on my awareness of where I'm at right now, I could bend or break this because I don't actually need to uphold what this rule would uphold. Give you an example you go at a stop sign, it's 3am in the morning, it's wide open, and you're at an intersection, and there's no cars and no people around for anywhere. And you're at a stop sign, 
or you're at a red light, even better. You're at a red light and you're there, okay? And you look around and there's nothing. Do you run the red light or do you stay and wait until the red light's over? Well, why is the red light there? The red light is there for safety. So nobody gets hurt and what, and, and, and basically everybody's safe and there's order. But right now there's no order needed. There's no safety needed. So just go through the red light. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the thing is, is that if you're following the rule, just because you want to get all the rules right, that's where storytelling goes wrong. Storytelling goes really right. And I don't like to think right and wrong so much, but it's kind of true. You know, if you realize, at least if you realize I could go through this red light right now and it would be perfectly fine. Um, if you realize that, then you realize that's a rule that you can break because you're aware of it. You understand the value of why the rules there. But if you, it's one thing you should know the rule, but you should also know why the rules there. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, like people have been building story for centuries. I mean, arguably millennia, you know what I mean? Since, oh yeah. I mean, you know, since, since, you know, yeah, the ancient times, ever since people were scribbling stuff on walls. Totally. Story, story is, is a part of, of our existence. And you don't think over that time, we're going to come up with a, with a lot of rules to get it down to something, which is an art form, which can be guided. And the other thing too, is if you think about creativity, right? And you think about structure, structure is rules and guidelines that are in place. And chaos is there's no rules or guidelines. And you know, when creativity becomes chaos, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, even if you look at improv, which is pretty chaotic, they still ask for, throw a name of something, throw yeah. out a term, throw it a something. And that gives them enough structure that they can keep the creativity within a realm. Because if it's just random, it doesn't work anymore. And they still learn these these rules too. Like there's sure. the whole thing. Always, like, say, yes. always say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's one of a couple of these little things that I would say what it does is it's a focus. Yes. It's not necessarily like it's a rule. It's just a, it's just a way of focusing sort of all of this creative energy in a way to keep uh, a message or, or an idea going. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, it's, uh, it's important that you know the rules and what they stand for. I like what you're saying. I like what you're saying because yeah, it's not enough that you just know the rule. It's like you've, yeah, it's, it's about what, what it upholds. Gives you, it gives you more creative freedom ultimately to have some structure in place, but to understand, I mean, I think it's one thing to understand the structure, but it's another thing to understand why the structure is there. For example, you know, I, you know, I, I teach the screenwriting course, Timeless Storytelling, which is all about teaching people how to write a screenplay. And, you know, a lot of my clients now who have gone through that course are literally have, have never written a screenplay before, or they've only written shorts and they wrote their first feature and they're already on their way, like to getting work and, and moving forward as feature writers. And the thing is, is what, I, I explain to them certain things that I've learned through storytelling, which are just fundamental things. And once you understand why they're there, then you understand why you'd be abiding by them or breaking them. For example, in story, I'm not going to get into, into, into this, but, and you know this as much as I do, everything that's climatic and high tension later in the story is relative to what happened earlier in the story. So the more normal your story is in the beginning, in a sense, 
that gives relativity to what's really high stakes and high tension later. So if you skip your normalcy period, if you skip that period where character's life as it normally is, and you don't give them that, you don't give the audience that, they don't know have anything really to compare it to. Everything's mm-hmm. just high tension. And so everything kind of becomes almost like um, very leveled. Whereas if you give them like a very... Um, a, 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 at least a small experience of how the character's life normally is, yeah. then when things get high tension, we can relate back to where they were normally and we see right. comparatively how much tension. And so, and so the reason, like to just say, if yeah, we're going to put this in very broad, broad terms, the reason why in a story you do that mm-hmm. to create that sort of, that this normal state to give an audience a glimpse of them in their everyday life is to create a relationship to them yes. as an audience member to, and to create sort of an em, an empathetic or a compassionate sort of response to that person. Because if you don't have that, when you do, you can, you could have, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say the name of the director, but they do a lot of, they've done a lot of special, like big, huge special effects films over the years. Okay. And I actually swore to myself (laughs) the last time. And this was a number of years ago and I've held to it. I saw one of their, their movies and I said, I am never going to go and see another one of their, their films again. Mm. It bothered you that much. It bothered me that much. (laughs) There were, there are a lot of really good, good actors that were in it. But ultimately I said, you know what? Like you're doing all of this crazy stuff, you know, like there's like the world is literally like collapsing (laughs) for the most part, you know, in this movie and I could care less Mm. about anybody that this is happening to about any of their struggles. I couldn't care less. Yeah. And that's why it's important (laughs) to do what you're saying, right? Like, so that's like one of those rules. Like there's a reason why we have this rule. So maybe you abide right, but maybe there's for some reason in your, you're writing a story and you've come to a place and and you're just like, I don't really want to do this because either you've established it some other way, or maybe you want people to be sort of apathetic towards a character because you're setting something else up. Yeah. Right. But that's your choice. That's ulti- That's serving the ultimate thing of your story. But again, that would be breaking a rule yeah. of sorts. It's just like, no, you got to make your character likable. Like that's sort of what you're saying. It's like, oh, you got to make your character likable, which basically means the audience can relate to them. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, okay. So here's a real interesting thing is like, uh, you know, that in most like, and this is a real interesting thing that. Uh, and I, and I'm always amazed at how common it is, but I ask people about what is the hero's arc look like? And I think this is changing now. So maybe by the time people start to hear this, maybe this has become a new thing that people are, st- but most people think the arc looks like it kind of goes up really quick in the beginning and then it starts to flatten out near the top. And that's how most people look at the arc. And in most of life, our arc of growth is like that. You start learning music, you get really good at the beginning really quickly, and then you start to plateau and it's fine tuning and you get a little better, a little better, a little better. But in story, usually the arc starts off, the character is very like flatlined, and then near the end of the story, they really arc up with growth. That's actually how it looks. Yeah. But let's say you're writing an antagonist character 
who we want to see the downfall of this guy. It actually starts up here, flatlined, and then it just falls down and it falls down more and more near the end. And so what a lot of people don't realize, they, they, they don't even have a character arc or they do the character arc wrong, incorrectly. They don't understand that rule. They don't understand why it's like that. We can go into detail, but that's irrelevant right now, I suppose. But anyway, these little things, and, and you can have a great story, a great concept, all this stuff, and you break this one little thing, and, and you don't know you're doing it, and it totally undermines your whole story. Of course, if you knew you were doing it, and you did it in a way which you had a purpose for in relation to the rule, fine. Maybe that was a really complicated way to say something. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, go to, ahead. I was going to just provide another example of this. And there's actually a few things that you just hit that I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh this is, this is, we're heating <laughs> up now. I feel like we're really getting into it yeah. now. Um, no, I love this whole, like the idea, like as you're, before you even said it, I felt like I knew where you were going with it. It's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's, and, and so in, in art, it is in life, right? Like a lot of times we hit the bottom before, before we, we transcend before we go and evolve sort of as, as human beings. And that's kind of like your hero's arc. We always sort of look at it in a classical structure of it being this uprising thing. It's like in a lot of ways, it's actually, it's, it's useful to almost look at it as somebody like going down, like things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse until finally they hit a point yeah. and they've got to, and they've got to do something extraordinary and how often do we do that in our lives? You know, like we've got to, we've got to get sort of smashed over and over with like learning a hard lesson yeah. before we finally see the light and we, and we do what, what has to be done. Uh, but I want to provide an example and here's spoilers. If you haven't seen it, Which um, one? uh, gone girl, gone oh. girl. Oh, amazing movie. Am I thinking of gone girl? I ben Affleck. Yeah, Ben Affleck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hold on, hold on. Oh, I'm thinking Gone Baby Gone, which was another oh, Gone ben Baby Aff Gone. Ben okay, Affleck but hold on a second. Uh, okay. Before you do this, so listen, we're we're near the end of this podcast. If you haven't seen that movie, Gone Baby Gone. Please. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Oh, we're talking about Gone Girl. We're talking about Gone Girl. Okay. All right. They're, okay. Gone, they're both terrific movies. They're both terrific movies. But if you haven't seen Gone Girl, just stop the podcast because we're going to discuss it a little bit. Go watch it and then tune in for these last few minutes. But if you have, if you don't care, fine, uh, whatever. We're, we gave you warning. <laughs> yeah. So let's go. go but um, we have our lead character or, you know, one of our co-leads, right, in Ben Affleck's character. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, he is set up. And this is, again, it's seemingly, seemingly breaking a rule yeah. where we kind of hate him. We're directed to dislike this guy so much. Yeah. And then it's totally flipped on its head. I mean, that's, and then that's to credit to the original author, but also David Fincher as, as a filmmaker, he did such a great job of doing this. But again, it was, it was breaking a rule, but acknowledging that there was a rule because we almost understand it as an audience subconsciously. Right. We understand how a movie kind of goes structurally. <laughs> We're like, oh, okay. And it's like, oh man, this guy's a real prick. And now it's going to be about, you know, all of this. And then suddenly you go, whoa, hold on. Like it just flips the whole thing around on you. Yeah. And plays on your expectations. And it does it by breaking 
almost a cardinal rule, right. but it does it for good reason. And it's an, and it's a better story and film because of it. Totally. You know, um, and I was thinking, cause that was based on a novel and the way they wrote the novel. Um, and I, and I, I was going to look the person up who wrote it, but anyway, the, um, Oh, it was, it was Jillian Flynn, right? Jillian? Jillian Flynn. Oh, yeah. she did. She, or Jillian and can be a, the, can be a guy too, play. actually. Jillian? I don't Jillian. know if that's a, I don't know. Let's check it out. Let's find out. <laughs> Let's find out because, um, yeah, Woman. Jillian. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was brilliant because, uh, the way, the way that the novel was written also tailored to the whole screenplay, but, um, yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, that is that, and that's understanding like the other thing too, with the rules, which is so beautiful about storytelling. And I love this is that rules because we're so, we're so informed about story. Like audiences today are very informed about story. So they very, they're very like by the rules. They're very by the book. They, they already go into a movie expecting the hero to overcome great odds and all this other stuff. And as much as they say, like, I want to be surprised in a way they often don't like it when they don't get the win at the end and all, whatever. Yeah. But what's beautiful about all these rules is that if you know that the audience knows the rule, you can use the rule against them because they already <laughs> plan. They've already gone into the movie planning it will go that way. And if you know they're planning it'll go that way, they're already giving you the red herring that they're ready to follow. And then once they do it and you know they're on that track and you wrote it for them to follow that red herring, you can totally switch them up. And that's what Gone Girl did in a way. It kind of set you up to follow a red herring that you expected. And then it said, wait a minute, you didn't see this. And that's how a twist is really done. A twist is all expectation exploited so that you can twist it and push it some other way. I'm doing hand signals right now, yeah. Evan. But <laughs> I wish people could see you right now. Because <laughs> it's a brilliant one. Yeah, go <laughs> twist, and then it comes up here, and then it goes down there, and then it comes up. And Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm being ridiculous no, that now. Was, but. <laughs> you pretty much got it. Um, so anyway, uh, so, you know, I, I think that understanding the rules, like, there's a lot of times, like, I think naturally as artists, we want to be a little defiant. We want to fight that stuff, a lot of us. But I think if we start to learn to embrace the rules as our friend, as like a, something that helps us, we're willing to learn it and respect it, but then we can use it. It becomes a tool. But if you just deny it and you just say, ah, I don't follow the rules, everything's cookie cutter by the rules, you're in a way you're like, you're denying like something that's already kind of like there to help you. You yeah. know what I mean? Whether you use it or don't use it, if you understand it, it's there as a, you know. Yeah, it's there as a as a bit of a roadmap, right? To at least to to get you going, you know, in a way that we understand is is a way that functions. Mm-hmm. You know, it it functions consistently. That's basically what it is. Yeah, it's a con- it's, it's, it's a consistent functioner. But the thing is, like, if you you can't go to by the books either. No. It's like, that's something that you have to acknowledge. It's like, yeah, like you can learn the craft of it on a purely technical level. And we were talking about this with filmmakers too. It's the same and same thing with acting, same thing with any, like you can learn anything on a purely technical level and it will get you so far. Right. But no further. You know, um, you know, there's a great writer, uh, writing teacher and I'm pretty sure a great writer. 
but uh, Sid Field. And yep. all the final draft was a lot of based on Sid Field's work, you know? And a lot of people um, now, they start to give Sid Field a bad rap. And they say, oh, you know, Sid Field's all by the book and blah, blah, blah. It's all structure. It's all predictable. You know, I've heard people do that kind of thing. And I go, well... Sitfield did us all a gift because he wrote it out and he basically said, this is, what, this is what you need to do to meet audience expectations. He never said you had to follow it all. He just said, this is what you need to do to meet their expectations. Yeah. You know, actually... Um, this is what years of, of films being made have sort of taught me, you're right. in essence, and here it is. Yeah. Like, this is what most of them have in common. Right. But there's always, and I'm sure, like, Sid Field is not a dumb guy. <laughs> no. You know, like, he's, like, he he would probably full-on, and is he still alive? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't even know how old he is. I, I, I have no he's, just in, he's just a name on a book that I'm, I'm familiar with. <laughs> that I've <laughs> That's <laughs> been around forever. Um, but I'm sure you <laughs> would full admit that it's just like, oh, yeah, no, there's always, there's always you yeah. that you've got to bring to it. Yeah. Like, I'm giving you this, but you've always got to weigh it against yourself. Well, you know, and I think uh, in uh, a lot of people have given, like, Final Draft a bad rap for that, too, and saying, well, Final Draft, you know, they give you the structure of Sid Field and whatever, all that. And the thing is, is, like, all that stuff, like, in a way... And I, and I say this a lot of times when I work with people is read Sidfield because you need, because he's going to lay out a lot of the rules for you. And once you understand those rules, you can start to understand why those rules are there and what they mean and what their purpose is. Then you can start talking about bending and breaking them. But if you've never, it's like, if you've never read the book and you and you don't understand why they're there, don't knock it. Because the other thing too, is they say like a lot of writers will follow him verbatim. They'll just follow that structure. And unfortunately, when you do that, you do end up in cliche land and in predictability land. Yeah. Because there's also like, it, art isn't a paint by numbers either, you know? No. No, it's, and, and of course, of course, course it isn't. No. Like, you know, that seems very obvious, but that's, that's exactly like, if you take that approach of just, you know, like, oh, okay. Like if you take it on from a purely almost, um, I don't know, conscious, you know, intellectual level, again, it will take you so far, but no further. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like the, the, and that's where the art I feel comes in. It comes with stretching yourself and with, uh, your creativity, your imagination and applying that yeah. into everything. And then that's where the soul of a story comes from. I agree. So this is what I'm thinking. Uh, I think we're near the end of this podcast. All right. Okay. I think you're probably right. Yeah. I think we should continue this topic on our next podcast and, and continue talking more about it. So I think we're on to something that can, can, we can go further into. Of course we can go into further other things, but why don't we wrap this up with a couple pointers, whatever that we feel like, okay, if you had some takeaways, what would you take away? You know, it doesn't have to be one. It could be more than one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then um, maybe we'll continue on to this topic on another another day, or another okay. day. Yeah. All right. So uh, take well, it away. From let myself. me start. Okay. Yes, please. So, in my opinion, uh, and I would say, listen, as a working screenwriter, as someone who's literally getting paid to write screenplays and making money doing it and creating, I'll tell you something: they do pay me to deliver on the rules. They pay me to do that. 
And if I don't, that is something they would be disappointed with. That being said, they also pay me to bring myself to the work. And as much as the rules are there, I understand them enough where I can bend them and break them. And I do hope that one day people on the other side of this talk will be able to read my work and be able to see the stuff that I've done. But I can tell you that even the most professional people I've worked with, they understand the rules and the best ones, they, they understand it. And when we have a discussion about, okay, like, cause I'll co-write a lot of stuff right now. That's, that was a lot of last year, Yeah. but they'll say, okay, if we bend this rule, what are we doing? What, what's our, what's our angle? What's our thing? And you know what? Also, if you understand the rules, you can start to play with twists and that's a beautiful thing to start to play with because, you know, I think everybody loves a good twist. You know, you look at like all these great movies, we could prefer name after name of things, you know, Fight Club, Usual Suspects, whatever, it doesn't matter. Gone Girl, everything. Yeah. But you say, if you understand the rules, I believe that's what's going to give you access to a lot of the twists. I know it has for me. I know it's given me a lot of opportunity to really play with the audience expectation and a, and a great twist can open up a lot of doors for you. As, just ask M. Night Shyamalan, who <laughs> worked that angle, <laughs> and that's his whole career in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. But anyway... And then it started working against him. Possibly, in yeah, because everyone called him the twist guy. But but he did understand, he clearly, I mean, whether he, I don't know, maybe he didn't, but he definitely had enough awareness to bend the rule of expectation, because that's how he did, you know, the twist, Sixth yeah. Sense, whatever, you name it, right? you don't know. So then you go into this world and you find out, you know, anyway, that's what I would say. Learn the rules, understand why they're there, the why, and then decide how you want to work with the rules. Don't have to follow them verbatim. Yeah. Bring yourself to the work and that's the rest will take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Know your craft. Oh, and empathy, empathy and and don't judge. Those also partake to the rules as well. Yes. Pertain. Yeah, empathy <laughs> and compassion, and for me, um, going beyond yourself, as sort of uh, esoteric as that. Okay, explain. Might seem. You got to explain that. Okay, well, just going, going beyond yourself, and and that fits into the into what we were talking about with empathy and compassion, is that that compassion is a way of going beyond ourselves. It is. It it is a tool for us to put ourselves in someone else's shoes to see things in a different way. Mm. I think that that's, that's probably the most effective way of doing it, you know, and, and with, with whatever it is that you're doing, inject, inject empathy and compassion into your art, into your work within art. Again, even if you're more of a technician, it will always make it better. Mm. It will always, 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 always make it better. Mm. So Do don't get- make cliches. <laughs> don't don't settle for your characters saying the same garbage that you've heard a hundred times before. Just because you've heard it a hundred times before and it seems to have worked in movies doesn't mean that it's okay to keep doing it. Find something else. Find another way of expressing something, of expressing humanity... And do that through a compassionate eye. Because that's probably the way that you're going to find it. That's yeah. for me what, what I'm, I'm taking from this is. I like it. Find the compassion. 
Yeah, find the compassion. I think that's that's so much about what this talk's really about. Yeah. All okay. right. Cool. Well, Fantastic. Uh, until, well, until next time, until part five, which we will not <laughs> indicate as being part five. <laughs> yeah. We probably will. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll boot it up and we'll be like, <laughs> podcast number five. <laughs> <laughs> because it seems like such a natural way to begin a podcast. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.